hello. Welcome to I Love Rock and Roll. I'm Ken. And Ryan. I am Chip Chantry. Oh, sorry, Ken. Go go ahead, buddy. No, I got, I got it's, excited. It's too late. You blew it. Damn it. You stole my moment. Guys, this is Ken Krantz, the host of I Love Rock and Roll. And I'm also here, Chip Chantry. <laughs> we uh we have a uh, we got an exciting guest with us today with uh with a pretty cool story that I'm excited to get into. Um, our guest today is a singer, songwriter, musician, producer. Um, give it up. I always say give it up. I don't know why I do that. Like there's a crap. I'm, I'm so used yeah. to. Uh, like you're at stand up New York right now. I know. Come I'm, on. Keep, I'm sorry. Keep I'm sorry. To, I'm sorry to blow your intro, Dave. <laughs> uh, our guest today oh, is. Great. I, think it's going, I think this is going really well. <laughs> He's, by the way, uh, for those of you listening at home, you can't see it, but Dave is slowly inching out of camera frame right now. I think we've lost him. I think we've lost him. Uh, our guest today is Dave Brandwine. Dave, thanks for being here. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. So, Dave, uh, you were we, you were in the band uh, Turquoise, who uh, a funk band. It lasted about 10 years. Um, you, you had, uh, you, you, you have two new albums out, but also, um, a fairly interesting breakup story that, that we'll get into, but let's, I, we, we want to start at the beginning. Like we're, 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 you grew up on long Island, right? That's correct. Yep. From Roslyn, New York. So how does, uh, Chip was asking me off air. He was like, how's a white kid from long Island become uh how do you become exposed to funk like how how does funk become yeah it's a good question because i mean growing up on long island it was more for me it was more classic rock i mean that was what i was always into absolute beatles fanatic um and that was really what i played all through high school and you know focused on that kind of songwriting and uh wasn't until i got to college and met Taylor, who would become my bandmate, um, that I really got exposed to funk. I mean, obviously I'd heard some of that stuff before, but not only did we start listening to like Sly Stone and James Brown and stuff like that, but also we got really into talking heads. Um, and you know, they kind of had this interesting approach to, um, you know, it really is like funk music, but mixed in this interesting way with rock and like art rock and songwriting and became like this whole other fusion of things. Um, and that was really when I, when I realized like, Oh wow, there's ways to incorporate like my own musical voice into this funk music. Uh, it, you know, that was when I realized it was something worthwhile, like artistically, but you know, Taylor and I would always, whenever we play music for fun, that's what it was. It was funk. It was just like dance music. And so it felt right to eventually create a project that, that represented that on recording. I, I didn't know that it was going to turn into, you know, what I was going to do for the next 13 years, essentially from then. Yeah. Um, that wasn't like super mapped out. It was kind of just like, before I knew it, I, my eyes were like, Oh, I guess I'm in a funk band. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, now, and you went to, uh, you went to Berkeley, correct? That's correct. For music. Yeah, I went to, to Berkeley. So I'm not going to say that you're exactly a slouch when it comes to uh, musicianship right there. <laughs> what was that? What were you, were you playing in bands in high school? Were you playing in the orchestra in high school? Like what, what was your, 
uh, sort of upbringing as far as uh, learning, learning to play? It was bands uh, like, you know, not affiliated with the school, actual rock bands that I was starting and writing songs for. That's, that's what I did. I actually had one band all through, through high school, the same band. So um, that, that was what I was used to was like starting bands with my friends and, you know, kind of, I mean, I tended to always be like the main songwriter and, you know, kind of orchestrating things. So that wasn't unusual for me. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it really, Berkeley was where I got exposed for the first time to, to funk. And I, I really did, although I never stopped writing other kinds of music that I grew up on, um, it really did just take over for a while in terms of like where my focus was. And it was just, it was fun. I mean, especially early getting out and playing shows and, you know, I mean, it was a party, you know, it was really, really fun. It, it looked like it. I, I was, I was on YouTube watching a bunch of uh, your, your live performances and it looked like an onstage party. It, it looked like you guys were having a great yeah. time. Um, it, it, yeah. it also, and as somebody who Ken and I are stand-up comedians, we are, uh, uh, we're wannabe rock stars. I can play a couple of chords on the guitar. Um, it, to me, like when I watch something like that too, and this is probably how our brains are different, how you are uh, much more inclined for this and not me, but like, it, it seems exhausting to put that together, to orchestrate that, to, to compose that, to arrange it, to then have, you know, a, almost a dozen members doing that. Is that, do you thrive on that? Is that something that you in, enjoy that intricacy to it or, or am I just thinking about it wrong and it's not as intricate as I'm thinking? it? Um, no, I, I think I did enjoy it because like in terms of like sonic, you know, painting and like, there's so many different sounds and so many different colors in the palette there that you can use. And like for arrangement tools, especially live where like power really mm-hmm. is something that when you have it on your side, it, it, it helps, it, you know, pushes you through the, the show. And there's just so much sound and so many uh, abilities to do things with the arrangement that it was really fun for a while. I mean, especially when, you know, obviously logistics of touring extensively over the years with that many people, you know, slowly but surely get really, really difficult. Um, but especially early on and that like, there was no question about it for me. Like I didn't even, it wasn't even a possibility not to have horns and female vocals. And it was like, that was what we set out to do. That was our mission. So when people would ask about like, Oh, how do you have such a big band? It was kind of a moot point. Cause it was like, that's, that's what this music is. I mean, sure. you know, um, so obviously it has challenges, but it had its great upsides too, you know? Um, and you guys, uh, you, you, in, in the, in the 13 years that you were together, you, you made some serious noise. Like you, you played Red Rocks, you were at Bonnaroo. That's gotta be, um, that's gotta be, I, I, almost hard to wrap your mind around, I guess, when, when, when you're starting a band with a, with a buddy in, in college and you're like, well, I'm guessing we'll play up and down the East a little bit, hopefully. And then we're not going to be able to keep nine people together for, <laughs> for 13 years. So uh, I, I, I'm guessing you had to have pretty greatly exceeded what your expectations were for the band. 
Yeah. You know, I, I don't even know what my expectations were. It's so funny. And like, I don't even know that I still have fully wrapped my mind around the fact that we did those things. You know, it's like, I think I, I was in such a mode of just go, go, go. And kind of always looking to the next thing. I mean, so much so that I regret it. I think a lot of the times when we would achieve things or things that had been on my, you know, wish list for a long time for us to do would get checked off. I was thinking about the next thing. I wasn't in the moment and mm-hmm. enjoying it. And that's one of the things I actually regret about my experience with it. Um, and so I think I'm still kind of wrapping my mind around to this day, like what we did and looking back on it and um, you know, yeah, we, I I'd say so. I mean, I think, I think as far as what we could have hoped for, what we could have expected and what, you know, we probably got to do more than what 99% of the bands out there do. So I'm I'm pretty grateful for that. You know, I mean, definitely feels good to have those things, um, you know, to look back on. It's funny. I think, I, I think like comedian, you know, I think all artists go through the same thing. It's like you said, you're, you're so, you're so busy trying to figure out how to get to the next level and what's going to be the next big thing. And and how do I keep this going? That, yeah. um, that it is tough sometimes. Like if, if someone had, if, if when you had started this band, when you and Taylor met, if somebody had come out, you know, like, like a back to the future, you had, had shown up and Hey, this is what we're going to do. We're, you're going to end up playing Bonnaroo and red, like you would have signed that contract so fast. You, you know, like, and I, 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 think so. I, I, I think so. I mean, it's, again, it's, it's really funny for me because it, it, it wasn't like a step-by-step plan and it wasn't always a conscious decision. It was just like one day to the next and we were having fun. And so we just kind of like, just kind of kept going, you know, um, I, I think Taylor felt a little bit more like, you know, this is what I want to do with my whole life. This is absolutely my goal. You know, me being more of a producer and a studio person, like I was never, my goal wasn't to tour 200 days a year, but once it started going well and once it, you know, we saw how much joy it was bringing people and like, you know, it started to catch some momentum. It was just like, this is what we're supposed to do. This is very much a live band. I mean, that's what, like we said before, I mean, it's a party that's, that's the main experience. And that's still to this day, what most people connected with is, is the live show about that band. So we were just, you know, but like at that point we got a job to do, let's just get out there and, and hit the road. And I mean, man, yeah, basically 10 years of, you know, 150 or more days on the road a year. Um, so it was quite the, quite the, uh, the, the journey. Do you see yourself doing that with these new projects? Cause I feel like these new projects could lend themselves to be more of a studio situation yeah. or are you yeah, looking no. for? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I am not really looking to get back out on the road like that. Maybe ever again, certainly not for a really long time. I mean, I definitely think we're, we'll, we'll put together live shows for these new projects eventually, but might be a little bit more of just like, putting on really specific events, really specific shows here and there, um, you know, and, and not, not just getting in a van or getting on a tour bus and going for, you know, 10 weeks straight, um, all around the country. I think, I think I've kind of, uh, you know, paid my dues there and getting into my mid thirties here. I'm, I'm gonna, gonna hang that, 
that up. I mean, plus it's just difficult. It's just unhealthy, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> well, and it's, it's so funny because, you know, like I said, like we're stand-up comedians, I'll always do stand-up. I love it. I love a live audience, but th- those two years of the pandemic, I wasn't doing much stand-up and uh, I thought I was really going to miss it and be like, I need to be out there. And then after a while I was like, I love this. I got, and I've had some, right. I like, I have some writing jobs and some, some other, and like yeah. doing the podcast from here, my place in Philly. And it's, it's like, Oh, I don't, if I don't need to go out, I don't think I, it's, it's kind of a beautiful thing. If you can produce something from your home or from a studio and, and reach everybody, but not have to, and get out there on your own, on your own calendar. Right. But that is of course the trade-off, right. Is that then you're not getting that, that feeling back from the audience and that sort of like gratification that like what you're doing is really connecting with people. And like, you know, when you're, more isolated at home and working on stuff in a studio or recording, like that's, that's definitely really gratifying. But in terms of if you're going to go look for that experience of connecting with people in the form of like social media or something like that, you're not going to get the same positive <laughs> feeling that you get it is not. performing a show. Yeah. Um, so that's the downside, right? I mean, yeah. Uh, and I'm sure that at some point having been so conditioned to do that for so long, that I'll really, you know, get the bug again to like, want to get back up and perform, but it was just so, so long and, and honestly so difficult that I've, I have, I'm still enjoying, you know, taking yeah. a little bit from the road. I, I yeah. can't, I can't imagine what it, what it's like to, to have to manage a, a band of nine people and nine personalities and it's the, what I love uh, about comedy is I don't have to rely on anybody but me, you know, like there's, there's, if I, I don't have to worry that someone else is having a bad day or someone else shows up hungover and, and isn't playing what they should be, you know, it's just, if it's, if it fails, it's all on me and I don't have to have that fight with anyone. And if it, if it goes great, that's all on me too. So, uh, Right. I, I couldn't imagine. It's, like the, it's the tennis. It's like the tennis of right. uh, of live performance. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I, and and of course, I guess the downside there is that maybe sometimes it's a little less fun, or you know, feels a little more lonely on the road. I, I haven't I haven't traveled on the road alone, so that's really interesting. Um, it must be just such a. I think you and I had probably just very very different experiences. Um, whereas when you're with this, as many people as we have, like just to try to grab a moment alone yeah. is a serious challenge. Like I like, sometimes you just like go into the bathroom and just stand there just to not be <laughs> around other people for a second. Like, you know, when you're in these tight, like green rooms at different venues and you're on, or on a tour bus or whatever. So, um, I mean, yeah, touring with that many people is definitely, um, it was a cr- crazy way to spend my you know, 20s and early 30s. I I know you said that um, you wished you wished you had uh, maybe soaked up some moments more, you know, and, and, and enjoyed what was happening right then and there. But do you do you have do you have a moment that that sticks out where where you looked around and were like, wow, I can't believe I, I can't believe this this idea with my friend back in Boston led to this. 
Yeah, I think when we were in Japan was probably, <laughs> and there were actual fans who were like had our merch who were coming up excited for us to sign stuff and like, like, like that. That was a really surreal moment, and it wasn't as overwhelming of a place as something like a, a Red Rocks or like a Bonner or a festival. We were in like a really nice jazz club, so and being taken care of really, really well. So I think my mind was a little more calm and was a little more able to receive. You know, take in what was going on, and it was pretty crazy to me that that was actually happening. Like, wow, we're actually playing in Japan, and we have fans here, and you know, like, I I didn't think we'd actually get to this point, and that was just really fun, and that was like pretty not too long before the pandemic, and like, honestly, that's the last time that I remember having like really a lot of fun playing with this yeah. band. Was was that the Blue Note in Tokyo? Is that what I read? It was. It was. Yeah, we did we did two shows a night for two nights. We did four shows at the Blue Note in Tokyo and we we all spent a bunch of time in uh in Japan on on either end of uh the gigs um before going to Australia for a festival which was really cool too. So that whole trip in 2019 was sort of like, you know, that I I actually really look back very fondly on that. Um and it was just kind of like right before things started to get really, really complicated, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but I, yeah, yeah, that was maybe, maybe one of my favorite experiences playing live music was out there. P- I, I only people, I don't know if people know that like the Japanese are enormous jazz fans, right? Like there's, there's a oh, Japanese yeah. culture of jazz fans that are like. It, Absolutely. Um, and, and that's interesting too, showing up and playing at a jazz club um, because people there, it's, it's a very different vibe from what we were used to playing at clubs in the States. I mean, people are seated and they're quiet and they're very respectful, but they're not getting up and dancing. They're not, you know, cheering wildly. They just sit and they, they clap. I mean, they're very like appreciative of uh, a jazz audience like that, but it's definitely not like what a funk audience here was typically like. So that was, that was interesting. I had, I had other friends who had played there before telling me like, you should tell people like, you can get up, you can dance, you can have fun. Like it's a very different kind of environment. Um, but such a beautiful venue, such amazing staff who took such good care of us. Like it was, that was one of the, you know, one of my favorite live music experiences that we've had. Is it, do you, do you think it maybe at some point when, when they're not up and dancing, like you're used to, like, are, are you wondering if you're even doing well? Of course. Yeah. That's, that's gotta be frustrating. <laughs> I'm wondering that even when people are up and dancing, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, I, I definitely had times, you know, I mean, even within a show itself, I could, I know I could slip in and out of being kind of, you know, really in the moment and just, and just like present and having fun and enjoying the music. But then, yeah, like something happens or you see something and you start to wonder, you know, is this going well? Do I need to change the set list? Do I need to do that? I mean, you know, I'm a pretty neurotic person. So um, my mind tends to go to those places fairly naturally. Um, It doesn't (laughs) take a whole lot. (laughs) (laughs) I heard you talking on on an interview about that you would put the set list together and, you know, kind of that 90 minute, uh, which is like a comedy show is usually 90 minutes. So it has that flow to it where it's like, you know, you want to start out, get that power and then you kind of bring it down for a little bit and then really yeah. kick it at the end. How, 
because like with us, like we can read a crowd. If the crowd isn't going for something, we can switch gears pretty, pretty easily. Hope, you know, hopefully and, and switch to something else. Are you a, with a nine piece or however many people, like, are you able to do that fairly uh, easily? Or is that, is that something that's pretty set in stone? Yeah. Everybody knows all the material, you know, material so well. Um, eventually what we did was we actually added a microphone on stage that only we could hear so that I could go in the middle of the solo in the previous song. I can say, all right, we're going to cut this and this, or we're going to skip to this song or add in this song. So I would do that a lot because like as much as set list being different night to night and having a certain flow and planning them out, like the biggest thing was just, wanting to get the job done at the end of the night and have the room feel like it was electric, like yeah. on fire. And so if I felt that it was just starting to sort of lag a little bit, I'm like, ah, I don't think this is going to land that well. I was, I would definitely not hesitate to to switch it up and just make sure we knock it out of the park. All right. Now, now, now funk is, and especially what you did, it's, it's energy, obviously it's, it's energy. Is there a way to accomplish it? Like, Sometimes like if we have a Saturday, you have a band that's like, you know, hey, we're going to do an acoustic set now. We're really going to bring it down. Like is can you accomplish that same thing with like a much lower energy performance or do you, do you kind of have to kick it up with what you're doing? Like, can you have a night where you're I like, look, we're really going to cool it down or does that do, does that not work for that genre? I think that it's it's um, a different type of thing that you're getting with the crowd, right? Like if, if you bring things down and there's a little bit more um, dynamics and it's a more like sort of delicate um, show, I think people's attention really starts to, um, you know, they have to sort of like move in a little bit and, and, and quiet their mind. And like our, our show didn't exactly breed that kind of atmosphere. I always used to say like, we're a really tough opener for ourselves because we would hit the first song and I was really important to me for that to always be like pretty explosive. And, and that was great. And it got people loose. It got them in the mood. It, it, I think it, you know, definitely made an impression. That's one of the things people remember too, when they get home later, right. It's like, how did it start? How did it start? Yeah. And how did it end? Yeah. Um, but we set the bar really high for ourselves in terms of energy level right there. So it be, it became hard, um, to have segments of the set later on that brought it too far down. Cause it felt like people were just ready to go and ready to dance. And back to some of that insecurity that I, I mean, I think there, and there were people in the band who said like, man, we shouldn't be afraid to like bring it down a little bit more for longer periods of time. And honestly, I, I was just so, said on the fact that like power was, was our, um, was our, was our thing, was our strong point. That That's what people were I paying was, for. Right. I yeah. was less comfortable with it than I maybe could have been. I think we probably could have explored that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting too. If I do perform some of this new music that I have live that has more like acoustic elements and things like that. I mean, it's going to feel like a completely different craft than what I was doing before. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to, so I want to get to the new music, but then let's, you know, we got to, let's get through the breakup and we'll get to the new music. So, um, your, uh, the band, you guys had just recorded, uh, two new albums, right? Correct. And, um, 
and you were about to start a tour or we, were you, yeah, we were you mid tour? You had started the tour. Okay. We had started the tour. We were on tour basically. Yeah. So you're, you're mid tour and all uh, with the exception of you and Taylor, all mm-hmm. seven members quit or they, they quit the band, I guess on the same day. And um, uh, so I'm, I was thinking about this, right? And, and it's, listen, it's, it, I think it's been well publicized and I know you've been answering a lot of these questions. So I'm, I'm not asking you to get into the details at all, but what, what I, what was the 2020 election fixed? That's what we want to know. <laughs> I think that's a little less controversial. <laughs> I'd rather talk about that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but you were you were at like it, it sounds like and I'm I'm just reading this off of your own uh, press release. It, it sounds like your world kind of bottomed out in in pretty quick succession. Uh, yeah. You um, I guess uh, through the pandemic, uh, you uh, you started drinking. You had to go to rehab. You got mm-hmm. sober. Uh, your marriage busted up like so many mm-hmm. did during the pandemic. And then uh, your your entire band quits on you. So I was thinking like, you know, if you're in a band and one guy quits or two guys, if you're in a nine piece band and one or two guys quit, you could be you can be like, all right, well, I, they, they had their own reason, you know, and, and I'm sure it's whatever's going on in their life. When the entire band quits, I'm I'm guessing you got to do a lot of uh, self reflection, right. you know. Like this is this has cl- this clearly has something to do with me and Taylor. I'm I'm guessing, and um, yeah. So so that coming sort of with all this other exterior shit that's going on, um, out of that, you start two new projects you you it, it's almost like it's you know i know it's kind of hokey to say but it's like almost like out of the ashes of of all of this comes a whole new creation definitely um and it was difficult to know it was difficult to know you know how much time to give myself after something as monumental as that happens. And there's that much sort of loss in quick succession, you know, how much do I need to power through and make sure that I'm being as creative as ever and letting, you know, still having that outlet and, and how much do I need to really just like stop for a minute and give myself a break. Um, and that's, that's really what I did was I, I took a solid, I mean, I was working, I was creating this other music, and finishing the turquoise records and stuff. Yeah. But in terms of like getting back out there and doing anything, I just knew that wasn't an option for a solid six months. And I really stayed off social media and stuff like that. And then of course that caused people to speculate like, Oh, it's obviously, you know, something happened. It's his fault. And he disappeared yeah. and all this stuff. And it was just like, no, I, I needed, I needed a break. Um, and I think, yeah, if I didn't stop to do some self-reflection after something like that, then, I mean, come on, that would be, that would be <laughs> insane, right? Yeah. So, so I needed to, and, and taking that time away from not only playing live, but also social media and all that stuff, 
that was a, that was a part of that. It gave me, it gave me a chance to do a lot of it. Um, and of course I realized a lot of things that I would do differently in the future. And you know, and it goes in waves too. It's like uh, being totally honest here. Like there's some days where I'm like, you know, man, like I really see how I set up this situation to end up this way. And I can really see where, you know, I had my faults in this situation. And then there's other days where I feel more angry, you know, yeah. and I feel more like, well, you know what? No, like I wouldn't do it differently. If I, you know, I, this person and that person or whatever, and, you know, look to exterior things to blame. And like the reality of it is like, come on, when you have talking about 14 people on the road for 10 plus years, I mean, with, with very limited money to go around, you know, with an yeah. operation like that and, and a lot of sacrifice being made by everybody, um, you know, what, I mean, it's, it was everybody's lives, you know, it's like what they poured their, their, their time and love and energy into. And so of course we all get attached to it in our own way. And we all have our vision of how it's supposed to go, especially after that much time passes. And, you know, then you have a pandemic where people can stop and reflect two years and, you know, I'm getting in from my early thirties to my mid to late thirties. Yeah. And it's really what I want to do. And, you know, it was something that I always was kind of the, the ultimate decision maker for and was doing a lot of the more managerial stuff. And I think people just started to kind of, you know, lose, lose interest a little bit. There were frustrations that had a chance, like I said, over, over a year and a half pandemic, whatever to boil up a little bit more. And, and I think people probably you'd have to ask them, but probably just decided that, you know, I think we want to probably do our own thing pretty soon. Yeah. Um, and just th that fall of touring was so brutal and so difficult with so many challenges that I think it just, it probably just sped up the decision. Yeah. Um, maybe they just uh, felt like they bit off more than they can chew with, with this tour. Yeah. And like, and, and I had said, you know, I don't know if exactly to how many people I'd said it, but I had alluded to people at certain points. Like I, you know, I don't know how much I really feel like I can tour like this anymore. I don't know how much I want to do this anymore. I, you know, I, I've always produced other artists and I've always been into that stuff. And I've, I think I've alluded to the fact were the years that I would be happy to focus more on that. And so, you know, I think everybody was aware that everybody else was getting pretty burnt out. Yeah. Um, and it was just a matter of like, well, how is this going to play out? And I did not expect it to play out how it did. Um, and the way in which it happened is surprising. And of course, disappointing, but I understand why, you know, yeah. and, and, and I did need to stop and do some self-reflection. And I think that in moving forward, working with other people, like I have to be, you know, really conscious of, of being appreciative of their contribution to things. And I always was appreciative of it. I just think at the end of the day, I, I assumed that that was a given. And I think that I got really comfortable with everybody when you start to feel like a family on the road and you forget, like you have, you really have to make the effort to like show people that Yeah, and you really have to make the effort to, and, and it's tough when you're on no sleep and you know, the bus is barreling towards the next gig and then you got to, you know, set up and do the same thing over again. And it's, it's just, it's tiring. I think we were just, we were just all tired and, and, it, and I can't speak to their reasons and I'm sure they have some more very specific qualms with me. 
And that's totally fair. But I think in the, the, the bigger picture, you know, the climate that we all existed in was just that of, you know, it, it had just been a long, a long time and a lot of really, really hard work. Yeah. I mean, people always look at the end of things, but like what you did, like over a dozen years, you had, you just said 14 members on the road like that's that's four and a half blink 182s do you know what i mean like that's, <laughs> that's that's so funny i measure things in blink 182s as well is that how you do it yeah it's, it's, yeah, it's yeah. a metric thing yeah so yeah, you yeah. and i yeah we it's it's the the, the 182 <laughs> method but like that's how to keep that and then i would assume too and we're not gonna um uh, the question I always like to ask is, uh, how much money do you make a year? Uh, it's but <laughs> if you don't, but like that's also got to be a strain too of like the the music business anymore. It's 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 a grind to be on the road and like also to split that fourteen ways is that that's got to be difficult too. And you guys made that last for well over a decade is 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 pr- is pretty amazing just with again fourteen people. Yeah, absolutely, you're right, and it's it's always easy to focus on the way that things ended and. In this case, there's so much to focus on that we actually did do and did accomplish in so many years of just, you know, having fun building this thing on the road. And so as hard as it is right now, you know, that's what I'm trying to focus on. And and in releasing music that unfortunately we won't get to play live, but in mixing the music and working on it. And, you know, I, I had to flip myself into that mode of like celebration. Yeah. This is morning at that time. I think more of the morning is honestly happening now um, because, because I was like, I, I need to finish these records because these, we have, you know, 26 songs that we're not just going to throw in the garbage here. Like we need to get this out to people. And so um, it was important to like, you know, it, it was, it was odd feeling to be in this sort of open-ended conflict or just, just sort of, this, this thing that doesn't have any closure and be working on this music where I'm listening to people's performances. And, but, but I don't know, there was something nice about it because it was a chance like, you know what, you just have to celebrate how good this music is and you have to enjoy it. Yeah. And no matter how you feel about this person, like this sounds great. We sound great together. You know? Yeah. Yeah. There, there's a lot, there's a lot to be proud of. But that that brings us to like I was saying, like out of the ashes. So here's here's uh, here's how I found you. So so uh, I I got um, I got an email and uh, from your publicist with uh, your your new single uh, from New Originals. Uh, you so you're working on two separate projects. But I I got this song Wasteland uh, landed in my email one day. And I saw that um, it featured uh, Jerry Harrison from Talking Heads, Adrian Ballou. If you don't know who Adrian Ballou is, uh, he is one of the all-time great guitarists uh, ever. He, he played yeah. with David Bowie. He played with Nine Inch Nails. And um, I listened to this song and I immediately fell in love with it. Uh, I didn't know. I didn't. I, I, I'll be honest. I hadn't heard of you. I hadn't heard of turquoise. I just, I know that this song ended up in my inbox and, um, it sounds to me like if you, uh, if you could have just gone back 30 years and released this song during, during nineties alternative radio, it would have been a huge hit. It would have been all over, uh, K rock here in New York. Um, it sounds to me like 
Bowie talking heads. Uh, st- I, I hear like Stone Temple Pilots. I, I feel like um, a Queens. Almost like a little I, industrial. I yeah, like Queens that, of like, the Stone. I could, yeah, I could yeah. hear it on a Queens of the Stone Age album very easily. But there's something. Uh, yeah, it's like Chip said. There's something industrial to it, but there's also something very uh, danceable. Mm-hmm. And and poppy, but also rot like it's so right in my wheelhouse. Like it's it's so much the kind of music that I love. That's yeah, awesome. mine too. Yeah, it's um, it's great. Yeah, so I heard it and and I emailed and I was like, hey, I want to I want to talk to this guy because <laughs> I, I love the songs. I didn't I didn't know anything about your your history with uh, with a funk band. Um, yeah, I mean that's what's crazy too, right? Is like going out and having this new music that lives i think it has its own um place in the world that doesn't relate to turquoise necessarily but it's tough when you're coming from a project that you know theoretically is a decent amount of people know to not mention it and not have it be in the con so that's always the challenge right now too is like how much do we really like you know relate these 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 two things and how aware do we have to make people about the band that i come from when we're promoting these new projects but I think, like you said, it's still it's still danceable. It's still upbeat. I think there's still a through line there for sure. And Rob, who is my bandmate in New Originals, produced one of these two Turquoise records with me. And he's been working with, with me on Turquoise stuff for a while and the whole band. Um, so I think there was a, a nice sort of progression there. And I'm, I, I, think, I think fans... Um, of turquoise will probably appreciate this new original stuff. And we have, we have a lot more of that coming out. Um, so we only have, like you mentioned, the one single out. Um, it's also got Daru Jones, who's the Jack White's drummer, a really, really great guy. Yeah, is that, is that the dude that stands up when he drums? I, yeah. I've, I've seen Jack White a bunch of times live and I'm, I, you can't take your eyes off that dude. I know. I, why do I get so like hyped up when he stands up? Like he kicks the stool up and he stands up and drum. Why does that drive me so nuts? That's his thing. Like, that's I the mean, coolest thing. Unique. Yeah, I know. It's, you don't really, you don't really see that too often. Um, so that was amazing to get to work with him down here in Nashville on that track. And we're going to have another single out soon that he's also on. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about that music. Um, I, I, I have actually had these, both of these projects going for a while, but with the touring schedule we had, it was just impossible to actually finish a project and have the time and the energy to get out there and promote it. So it's really exciting for me. This is stuff that I've been hoping for and planning for, for, for a long time now. And it's, it's, it's actually, it's actually happening. Um, you know, I obviously it could seem kind of crazy to release two solo projects in the wake of, two albums by my other band. Yeah. Can you knock it off for a little while, please? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the recommendation was just, you know, space it out because you know, you like, it's tough to be promoting this many things at once. But for me, it had just been all in limbo for so long that I just, I just couldn't picture, you know, spacing this stuff out so that I'm still releasing some of it at the end of next year. You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. I just want to get it all out. I have so much more in the can, so much more that I'm working on and writing every day. So I'm excited to just keep cranking this stuff out. And Um, and how much do you, and this has got to be tough too, just with the landscape of what music is today, touring versus studio versus whatever. Are you, how much of it is, you're obviously an artist, a great musician and producer and everything. Like, 
do you have a vision of like when you're writing something like, okay, this is going to live in the studio. I want to release this as a single that people listen to at home. We kind of talked about touring or not touring, but like, oh, this is going to be great live. And then like, what's the business end of it too? You're because you have to make a living. Like what, how, how does that play into when you're creating something like, is there an end? Do you see the end goal of like, this is where I want this to, to live. Yeah. I mean, sometimes probably more than I would like to, just because I've, I've been conditioned to over the years and I've had to learn like, you know, how things generally work historically in the industry and how things are promoted and the best way to, you know, release them and all this stuff. And I, and I wish I didn't have to think about that stuff, but it's so ingrained in me that inevitably I do some of the time, but in the best moments in the studio and the best moments in writing, that's when that stuff just is out of mind for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think, I think when I really do sit and focus and really get into the music, like you have to just sort of, you know, that that's what you're there to do at that moment. And then you'll figure it out later, the best way to package it. Um, so I try not to, I try not to think about it too much. I mean, it's the same way when I listen to a song by somebody and like, instead of me listening to the lyrics and what the person's saying in the song, I'm, I'm listening to the production and, um, you know, the, you know, how it's mixed and mastered. And, and I, you know, like my, my mind has been trained over the years, um, to go a lot of places. I don't always want it to go analytically with like, you know? Yeah. I, I was just, gonna, I was just going to ask you that. Does that take some of the joy Yes. Out of listening to music, because I know I, I've been I've been doing stand up almost 15 years. I there's very little stand up I could still watch if, I, if I'm in the club and it's in front of me, I, I could watch it and enjoy it as a live performance. Um, if I'm scrolling through Netflix, there's very few specials that I'll stop because I can't I can't watch it with the same eye. It's like homework. Yeah. It's like doing homework. That, right. Yeah, it's not relaxing. Right. Right. Because I'm just, just, oh, what would, what would you're, you're observing and you're like, oh, what would I have done differently? What have I, I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have used that. I would have done this. And, uh, it, it takes some of the love out of it. Yeah. And, and I think I've been working on sort of rediscovering that too. I mean, it's like you take this thing that is, you know, early on in life is like, the way you first get attention from people and it's mm -hmm. the thing that excites you the most. And it becomes such a part of your identity. Then when it becomes a job, it's really interesting because like who you are as a person gets so wrapped up in what your profession is. And while that's fun, some of the time, because, you know, people say like, it must be amazing. You get to do what you're passionate about for, but it's a trade-off because it's also, you know, it's so delicate the way you feel all the time, because, you know, doing something as a job, especially in this climate for the music industry is, is a really touch and go thing. And, and so when your sense of self is so wrapped up in it, you know, it's, it's a really tricky thing. And that's the, that's the trade-off, right. It's like, now I don't have music always to turn to as my release. Like I did when I was younger, you know, now I have to look for, you know, other, other ways to, to rely. I don't, I don't generally put on music when I'm relaxing. Um, for the same, for the exact reason that you just said. Um, and so there's, you know, I think when you decide to do what you love professionally, there is a little bit of a, uh, you know, a, a trade that you have to do, unfortunately. 
you know? Yeah. What do you like to do when you do relax? Like, what are you putting on or what are you doing? It's because like, I think the first thing that Ken and I do, it's like, I go right to my, you know, my rec, you know, my record collection, my, you know, whatever, listen to music. What, what's, what do you do when you're trying to get away? I listen generally to comedy or to podcasts. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, that's, that's definitely like, yeah, in my, in my car, I'm listening to, um, to, to, to podcasts generally, not music. Um, and I've, you know, I've also, I've, I've always been a fan of, of comedy and it's just, that's how I can turn my brain off and just, you know, get, get out of, you know, analytical mode and just, just enjoy what I'm listening to and just kind of take it in. And, um, you know, so that's, that's generally, you know, and obviously like, you know, um, trying to, to read and meditate and stuff like that. But a lot of the time it ends up being movies and podcasts as well. (laughs) (laughs) That's a form of meditation, I think. Yeah. Um, and we, this, this subject has come up on this show a million times, how it seems like every comic's a frustrated musician. Every musician's a frustrated comic. We had a, we had David Bryan from Bon Jovi on and he's, He's an enormous stand-up fan. His daughter's a very funny stand-up who uh who so I I see him at a lot of a lot of shows. And when he came on, he told us he did his his daughter runs a show in the city, a room that fits maybe 15 people. And uh, it was always a dream of his to try stand-up, so he went and tried stand-up uh for 15 people. And he said that it was the most nervous and the most scared he's ever been in his life. He said he couldn't sleep the night before mm-hmm. and that he was looking for every excuse the day of to back out of it. Yeah. Uh, which is so it's so crazy because I would see a room of 15 people and be like, oh, good. Literally none of this matters. Yeah. And I could <laughs> I could just fuck around and do whatever I want. I always felt way more nervous with small crowds than with large crowds. Um, like to, to me, 15 people is like, you know, there's like accountability there to each of those. Yeah. <laughs> you can actually see their faces. Whereas like when, if it's a crowd of 10,000 people, they just all become so anonymous that it just becomes yeah. kind of this oh, that's blob of a crowd. So to me, I was legitimately would be less nervous at like a red rocks than in like a place that had like four or five people in it. Yeah. But that's, you know, everyone's different in that way, I suppose. Well, I don't know. I don't know if, I, yeah, I I, I guess I, I'm talking more of like 15 people at a bar show, you know, that I'm like, I don't, I don't care how this goes. It, it, not, it, this doesn't matter. I, I do. Yeah. If, if smaller crowds are more intimidating, like you said, because you can look out and sort of see all of them. Yeah. I, I did a show last week. There was eight people in the crowd. I'm like, you shouldn't know everyone's name in the crowd. <laughs> uh, but um, but those can be really fun too. Um, but this was this was a long this was a long way of uh, for me to go to say. So you've actually we were talking off air. You've actually tried stand up. You've just showed up at some open mics. Uh, I have, and I don't ever. I don't bring friends with me. I don't ever talk about it. Um, the only time I did it actually that people are aware of, um, we had a friend, Turquoise, um, had a friend named Brett, who is a, um, 
Brett Sedell, who is a stand-up comedian, and he um, would do this thing where uh, late at the end of the night at bars, uh, he would make people sign a napping contract that they would do five minutes of stand-up at some point. And, and he would put on these shows like the napkin contract shows and people that he knew who he thought could, could maybe do it. That's um, incredible. I love that. Would, yeah. So, so six out of nine members of Turquoise actually ended up doing that um, really? at East, at Eastville in New York. Oh, um, wow. So wow. I, did, I did five minutes there. Like, I don't even know that probably was like seven or eight years ago. And yeah, it was, it was so, so scary um, prepping, prepping for it and being up there was like kind of surreal. Um, cause I'd thought about doing it being such a fan of comedy. I'd thought about doing it for so long. Um, and it was, it, you know, it, it was, it was kind of fun, but also terrifying. So I didn't go back and I didn't hurry back and do it again. Um, <laughs> I don't think any of us did, but then when I got here to LA, it's like, there's so many open mics and so many great spots. Like, in Hollywood. And, um, I, you know, I started, I started just going to a lot more comedy shows. And at a certain point I was like, you know, like I always am forming these little like bits and things in my mind. So like, mm -hmm. I might as well give it a shot. Um, I've never bombed. Um, I don't know if I've, if I've set the room on fire just yet, but, um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's really, really interesting and doing it. I've kind of enjoyed doing it like anonymously, I don't know if it's something I'm going to really be pursuing as a career right. angle anytime yeah. soon, but, but it did it for fun a few do, times. Do you do a lot? Is there a lot of stage banter when you're, when you're performing, whether it's with turquoise or whatever, like, were you talking to the crowd a lot? Is that something that came hand in hand or not really? You know, I always wanted to do as little of that as possible. Um, and I know, I think it's some people in the band even wanted me to do more and would encourage me to and, and nights where I felt it, where I felt the vibe and there was kind of funny stuff happening or I could interact with you. Like it would happen organically, but I really hated feeling like I was forcing banter. And so in, in terms of like a show, like for music, I was always wanted to just bang, 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 like onto the next song. I, and maybe I, re I regret it. I mean, I think I probably could have worked on that a little bit more and moving forward. I think maybe I have to try to meld my, my love for stand up with, uh, you know, live music performance and actually engage, do a little more crowd work, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's my big aspiration. <laughs> so, uh, so let me ask you this, getting, getting back to the new music. Why, um, why the need to have this be two separate projects what what's the what's the difference between band for sale and new originals the main most obvious difference is that new originals is my um project with my production partner rob okay Obama, um who produced paradiso with me one of those two turquoise albums um and we've we've just been working together sending music back and forth and um you know like building these songs together for a while now, it's been a few years and that has a really specific sound to it when he and I work together and it's, it has a lot more like electronic um, mm -hmm. elements to it. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit heavier. So that, that really has its own identity and band for sale is the music, more of my songwriter music that I grew up playing a lot more like Beatley kind of stuff, Paul Simon, 
you know, um, even like some, some dreamier, a little, some dreamier, like radio, you know, acoustic radio heady kind of stuff. Like, so, um, and, and there's some crossover, there's definitely songs where it's like a bit of a coin toss of like, which could this be? But, um, but band for sale is really like more, I guess, like my solo project. Do you think is either artistically or like business wise, is genre really important? Like, is that to, you don't want to pigeonhole yourself, but you want to let people know what you are, or do you like to just let it sort of let it fly? And because you're, you're obviously dealing with, you know, from these three different, you know, from the, your funk background to new originals and band for sale, it, there are many different genres you're using. Like, do you think it's important to like pigeon for better or worse pigeonhole something or, or no? I think that it's just, it's just a means of communication. I mean, I think any musician would much rather when someone says, what kind of music do you play? They'd much rather the song just start playing immediately. And the person can just (laughs) hear it for what it is, you know, having to put things uh, into genres, it's just more of a way to communicate to people, uh, you know, what they're going to be getting into, but I I, I don't mind it. I, I find it useful to think of like, all right, well, let me think of like three or four bands that I can mention that will give them kind of like yeah. a framework of, you know, I mean, for new originals, we talk about like, you know, Beck, Gorillas, White Stripes. Yeah. Um, you know, um, so, so it's, it's, it's always difficult to describe your own music because also sometimes I'll think that, it's those things. And then someone will listen to like, this doesn't sound like that at all. Cause I'm thinking about what influenced us to make it that way. Right. But sure. The end product to them might sound like something totally different, but it's a thing, you know, it's a necessary evil to have to try to classify things. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever thought of, because I just see like these, you know, kind of soundscapes you're making and these uh, you love to be in the studio. Have you ever done or have any desire to do any like television film work scoring or, or anything like that? Yeah. Um, it's funny. I'm actually talking about the possibility of doing a film score of, of Rob and I doing a film score right now that looks pretty, pretty much like it, it, it might happen. And I've, I've always been interested in stuff like that. Um, I've done the audio and music supervision for, um, a couple different films over the years it's never been my main thing. Obviously again, with my, my touring schedule hasn't really been possible, but now that I'm off the road and I'm out in LA, I mean, there's just, there's actually just so much work for music and television out. I mean, the one, one thing there's no shortage of right now is content yeah. and the need, the need for music for, for content. Um, so I actually am really interested in doing stuff like that. And it's, um, that's another thing where it's less tied to, you know, who my identity as a musician and all that's like, you can kind of, you're really, you're doing something to serve something else. It's not like, Oh, look at me. You know, it's like, I want to do a job really well and make this film, you know, make this scene read as well as it possibly can or feel as, as important as it possibly can. So there's something kind of freeing about that, how that kind of work is less associated with like, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. Like when I had my first TV job, a lot of people were like, you're writing something for another guy to say on stage. Like, isn't that frustrating? And at first I was like, oh, am I going to be jealous? Do I want to be in front of the camera? And like you said, it's freeing. It was my favorite thing in the world because I could just do what I loved and then just 
you just throw it out there to and then just kind of pass the baton and it you don't have to worry about that and you can think in somebody else's voice or like in a a genre of a movie or a tone of a scene or whatever. It's like you can just gear and, and you're sort of a piece of the machinery, which I loved rather than just the, uh, y- you know, just ha- having to be the face of it. Uh, absolutely. It's free, you know? Um, so I'm super interested in, in, in that kind of work. And I'm, I'm generally being pretty open-minded seeing what, you know, comes down the pike here. Like uh, it's, that's, that's one of the nice things about this too, is like, my years were just so mapped out before. I mean, like I knew what I was going to be doing through 2023, theoretically before, before the breakup. Right. Um, and now just having, you know, looking at a calendar and seeing many months where, I mean, I, was, I have things planned, but possibilities are open. I can make decisions last minute. I can go on, decide to go on a trip here or there, or go see this. It's, you know, it's insanely, it's insanely freeing. So along with that comes, you know, endless possibilities of what might want to work on next. Yeah. That's, um, that's a good, ad- that's a good attitude I think to have about it. And, and again, freeing too, where you you don't have to be on the road. It's like, wow. Like I always love a week, especially with, with the pandemic, like where, you know, you say like every night you're doing shows or whatever. And it's like, I always love when I can look at my calendar and be like, Oh, I have 20 things I have to check off my list, but I don't have to be anywhere this week. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I can do it at my own pace and you make it. And it's just, it is really freeing. Yeah. The, the, the challenge then now is finding discipline and schedule when, I mean, as I've never in my adult life had, you know, my own, weekly schedule, let's say that's organized. It's just been, you know, pretty chaotic being on the road, but I, it tells you where you're going to be and when, and now that freedom it's, it's really, really nice, but also kind of funny being like 35 years old. And for the first time ever being like, Oh, I need to like have like a weekly schedule, I guess. <laughs> okay, like, we just show, like, what am I doing? <laughs> what day is it? Like, you know, and, and cause Cause I guess there's also some freedom in discipline, oddly, right? Because it just answers so many questions for you. And um, so that's, that's something I'm, I'm having a really interesting time with right now. I was trying to find that. Okay. I want to ask you about that because, so I was, you know, I, I was touring comedian. I was a fourth grade teacher for 15 years. So, which is literally the most regimented job. It's like your lunch is from 1123 to 1153 every day. Like it's, it's super regimented. And then I'd have shows that you have to do it. I do as much as I do love it. I feel like sometimes I'm not as productive as when I had to keep that. Have you, have you figured out any tricks for that? Like, is there anything you do like daily or anything to be like, I can be more productive this way or you still figuring it out? Um, I'm definitely still figuring it out. Um, I I think, I think mapping out, um, I I used to make these like crazy to-do lists that were so ambitious for a day that I would just kind of drive myself nuts if, if I didn't get all those things done. Like I've, I really learned it's like try to map out the week and, and, and think in more manageable realistic periods of time like that, because then I know what I'm supposed to be doing that week, but I have enough wiggle room day to day that I don't feel totally trapped in it. Mm-hmm. That said, I mean, I don't know if I'm the one to be given any advice on this stuff right now, but <laughs> because I'm, Either I'm mind, so it's, struggling yeah. myself to figure it out. Um, yeah. There's a really good book that I just want to mention called um, 4,000 Weeks um, that uh, is about, it, it sort of poses as a book about productivity, 
Um, and, but really it's kind of more of like an existential book about, you know, life and, and how we organize our time and our priorities and stuff like that. And it's really, really cool. Um, so I definitely check that out. It's a, it's a really amazing book that has been kind of helpful to me lately. Oh, that's great. 4,000 weeks. All right. Um, oh, I saw, um, I wanted to ask you this. I saw that you played a show with, uh, Denny Lane from the wings, Paul McCartney and the wings. Yeah. You did three McCartney. I always thought they were such, that band got so much shit. And they were such a punchline for a, a long, at least I remember growing up. And I was always like, that band had so many great songs. Wings? Um, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. They, they were, I, I don't know why. I, I guess like it was just coming the off Beatles, the beat. Yeah. So I guess. Like, yeah, yeah. So it's people slagging them. Yeah. And, but, but it's, yeah, they're amazing. Do, do yeah. You, I mean, I, I guess they weren't like, you know, people were into more like heavy rock, like through the 70s especially stuff like that started to get really popular and like Zeppelin and, you know, it, it could have maybe appear like soft yeah. to some people. Yeah. Um, but I, mean, I know like in terms of following the lineage of like how Beatles songs were created and like, that's, that's as close as you're going to get following the Beatles is, you know, the way that wings material was put together by, by Paul and, and just the vocal arrangements, the bass lines, like that's some of the greatest music ever. Yes. Yeah. What do do you remember? What three songs you covered? Um. Well, we didn't know. We did a whole wing set with Denny Lane. Oh. We did three shows. Oh, okay. I I read it wrong. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, that's that's even yeah. We much did cooler. we did we did three set. We did one in New York, one in New Orleans, and then one somewhere in Ohio. Um. We did three shows with with Denny, which was amazing i'm trying to remember how it even came about i think our our booking agent um came up with the idea because he was a huge huge wings fan and knew that denny was out there doing shows and stuff and he's like what if you guys because i had mentioned oh that's what it was i mentioned doing a wings cover set and our and our agent was like what if i could get denny lane to go like i mean obviously yeah (laughs) yeah that would be incredible. And sure enough, I mean, it was insane. We were just setting up, rehearsing, uh, you know, running sound check at Brooklyn Bowl one day. And then Denny walks in and gets on stage with us. And we start doing silly love songs and, you know, live and let die. Like it was such a trip. It, w- it was absolutely insane. Um, and uh, that is one of those things, too. It's like I still don't really know if I fully grasp that that happened. Right. <laughs> I, I love I love seeing <laughs> shit like that. I love when bands do things like that. Yeah, it was it was really it was really special. One of the sets, the second one of them actually was Jazz Fest in New Orleans late night. Like it was like a four a.m. set or something like that, or a two a.m. set um, at Tipitina's. So oh wow, were, those were some magical magical shows for sure. And to to be able to meet Denny, I mean that was you know just insane for me and here you know, store, I mean, firsthand to be like, you were in a, in a band with Paul McCartney. That's absolutely, that's absolutely <laughs> insane. Um, do, so do you remember, did, did, did yeah. you have, did you have a wing? Like, did you have a favorite song that you were like, Oh, I can't wait till we get to this in the set. 
Live and Let Die was super That's a fun satisfying. One. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, because it just got so huge. Um, really satisfying. Um, there's this song called Love is Strange that's on the Wildlife album of Wings, which is not super well known, that we did a really, really cool arrangement of. Um, so that that was another favorite of mine. Yeah, I don't really think cool. I know that song. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, it's it's a good one. And then also, uh, you were, and I couldn't I couldn't tell by reading it. So I don't forgive me if I get this wrong. Did did you um you were part of the 40th anniversary uh, Talking Heads Remains in Light tour? I, I couldn't tell if that had happened or if COVID canceled it. It 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 did cancel it initially. And then eventually we did a few of the shows. Um, uh, so we had worked with Jerry Harrison. He had produced a track for us back in like 2017. Um, he came out to New York with his engineer actually. And we all worked together on these couple of songs. And then once uh, 2020 was starting to roll around, that was the 40th anniversary of remain in light. And, Jerry and Adrian both had been thinking about doing their own version, you know, some, some nod to remain in light on tour that year um, for the first time ever. And so they decided like, maybe they should link up and, you know, Jerry told Adrian, I've produced this band. They're the perfect instrumentation. They know all the talking heads music. Um, and so we ended up playing out here in Nashville uh, and, Jerry brought Adrian to the show and watched us play. And he said that within like two or three songs, he turned to him and he's like, yeah, this is going to work really, really well. <laughs> so, so that was amazing. Um, and I've subsequently become really good friends with Adrian. In fact, I think I might see him later while I'm here uh, in Nashville for a bit. Um, and uh, so that was just such an amazing experience to be able to do that. So it was, it was Turquoise featuring mm -hmm. Jerry Harris and Adrian Ballou doing remain in light catchy title, right? Um, <laughs> that was tough to fit on the, on the festival billing. Um, so that, that was another, I mean, unfortunately it was supposed to be a huge tour and unfortunately that, that got cut short by COVID at first. And then of course, by yeah. you know, what happened with the band after that, but we did get to do a few of the shows. And in fact, the last show we played, was an amazing remain in light set to about 10,000 people at, at Halloween down in Florida. Oh, wow. Um, wow. So that, that was the last, that was the last show. And it was pretty full circle for Taylor and I, because like we started the band by watching talking heads, yeah. and listening to talking heads. And so for that to sort of be how it like culminated and, you know, there's something as sad as it is, there's something kind of beautiful about uh, that. It's, yeah. There's, yeah. there's yeah. like a poetry to that. That's, that's yeah, that's very cool. Adrian yeah. is such I'm like David Bowie is my favorite artist of all time. Yeah. And I'm I was so blown away with the work that he did with Bowie. There's a clip on YouTube of um, Adrian's playing on the song Stay with Bowie. And he's wearing mm -hmm. it's like, you know, he's wearing a Hawaiian shirt. It, it looks like somebody's uncle wandered onto the stage or something. <laughs> you're like, you're like, what? Who yeah, has this dork Adrian. playing with Bowie? What? And But then he picks up that guitar and uh, it's like your jaw drops to the ground. And you're like, oh, he could look like who, whatever the fuck he wants 
when he when makes it sound, he makes the guitar sound like nobody else can. Like, it's just, you know, it sounds like I, I once saw it described as that uh, he makes the guitar. He makes sounds like machinery and animals. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was actually pretty accurate. Yeah. It's um, a good way to describe it, but yeah, just nobody else does what Adrian does on the guitar and yeah just to, i mean going through the years of what he's done like you said i mean started with zappa bowie um talking heads king crimson yeah um, i mean he's on graceland by paul simon he's oh i didn't you know, know that he's he's um you know the tom tom club like that sample that's in like the mariah carey song and then i just heard it that you know sampling like that's his guitar like it's just crazy um, sitting and chatting with him about all the stuff he's, he's done. Um, so yeah, to get to, to, to work with him and have that whole thing culminate in, in that project with them was kind of amazing. And, and, you know, gave the chance to do some studio stuff together as well, which was yeah. really, really cool. Yes. Well, do you have any, um, do you have any, Oh, I want to say this. So I got, I don't know if I, if I should say this, I actually got sent, uh, the new originals. I got sent an advanced copy of your next single. Uh, oh, cool. I, I got, I got so sad. I think. Yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. So I was nervous. Cause I, I, I listen, I, I'm not, I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. I've been listening to wasteland probably five to 10 times a day, uh, for the last several weeks. And, um, you get nervous. You're like, oh, sometimes the singles all that's any good. You know, you always worry. And then uh, I just got just right before I came on, I I uh, got so sad, and I was like, holy shit, I love this just as much. It's re- it's and, really good. Yeah, I it's can't really wait for good. this album to come out. Do you have Do you have a tentative release date? Anything you could tell people? Uh, I think just early, early 2023, but we have a few more singles that will release this year. Um, and I'm actually, I'm like literally down here right now, finishing that, the album. Um, and yeah, so sad is coming next on the 23rd, I believe I meant to double check that, but, and, and, uh, we've got a video for that song as well that I'm really excited about. So you know, we'll keep doing um, band for sale. The album is going to come out in November. Okay. So, um, you know, just kind of trickling things out slowly, but surely. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's really nice to finally not only have these two turquoise records out that I've been, that we've been working on for four years. Um, but same goes for these new projects too. Some of this stuff I've had sitting around for a while and, getting it finally out opens up some mental space for, for new writing and recording and, you know, being off the road now, that's what I'm, that's what I'm focused on. I'm producing some other artists too. That's something I've always done. Um, a couple of cool projects going with that right now. So it's really, really nice to finally be able, I mean, obviously this is, it's been a really difficult period of time, but it has ended in a little bit, me having a little bit more freedom. Like yeah. we, discussed Absolutely. before yeah um and kind of like figuring out you know who i am when being on the road more than half the time isn't part of my identity and there's something scary to it and you know but usually on the other side of that same coin is like excitement so i try to lean into the excitement side of it most of the time and realize that there's you know pretty endless possibility 
out there. So, um, you know, thankful I get to do that. Keep, keep working on new music. That's what it's all about for me. You know, that's my most important thing for me is that people enjoy the music. Yeah. Well, you've got, you've definitely have two fans. Right yeah. You have two of us. So yeah. So, yeah. I, I can at least count on you guys. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, hey, where can people find you? Like, are you, I, I know you took a break from social media or where can they go to get updates from all that? Um, yeah. So, um, all the usual places, um, you can find the actual music on anywhere you get your music. Um, but on socials, um, Instagram would probably be the place, um, at band for sale and at new originals music would be the place to check us out. And, you know, it's, these are brand new. I mean, we're just starting to build these, these accounts and these pages. Um, so it's, it's exciting. We're just, it's kind of building it from, from the ground up. And, um, and it's, you know, after, after being in something that's been fairly established for a while, it's again, it's like scary on the one hand, but really exciting on the other hand. Yeah. Um, so definitely, yeah, definitely find us on there. Find us on Instagram, Spotify, each, each band only has one single out right now, but more on the way. So yeah, if you want, if you want, uh, if if you if we have your permission, if you want us to uh, put a, we could play, we could put Wasteland yeah. on following this episode. Yeah, we could just go Absolutely. out with that. All right, cool. Yeah. yeah. All right, Dave. I hope you had fun. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. Thank, you, thank, thank you, so you guys much so much for much coming on. It was a pleasure. Chip, do you have do you have anything coming up you need to? Uh, uh, just at, at Chip Chantry on Instagram, Twitter. Uh, how about you, Ken? Uh, September 21st, next Wednesday, I'm with Bonnie McFarlane at, uh, the stage house in Mountainside, New Jersey. Uh, it's always a really fun show and it usually sells out. So, um, go to their website for tickets and, oh, also I should throw this in because we are part of a shared universe. Uh, go see clerks three in theaters this weekend. If, uh, if it's playing by you. All right, everybody. We'll see you next week.